I'm Stuart Sheldon. My name's Ron Rothberg. 30 years ago, I was on Wall Street. I was the youngest vice president at my fancy company, but that's not what I wanted to do. After spending nearly 25 years in media, I knew things were changing, both in the industry and inside me. Swan Dive shares the powerful stories of those who had the clarity and backbone to make a major life pivot to their vision. I took a Swan Dive. I have been an artist ever since, and it's the best choice I ever made. Getting closer to who you really are. That's Swan Dive. As a professional singer, songwriter, and rapper, Jake Miller is blowing up. From the kid in his bedroom making beats in high school to performing on tour and chatting it up on the Today Show, Jake is a world-class performer. This is just a crazy industry, and I'm learning that more and more every day. And I love it, and I love making music, and I do still have fun. But I do think there will, there will always be a little part of me that's not completely satisfied with where I am. And so... That's sad, but it also keeps me going. And it's like the the fuel that I need. The story of a kid and his parents who said, okay, let's give this music thing a shot. Welcome to an all new chart topping swan dive. From the Peacock and Park Studios in Jacksonville, Florida, and in Costa Rica at the fancy, nasty studios, this is another edition of Swan Dive. I'm Ron Rothberg. That there is Stuart Sheldon. Stu, I spent the better part of a day watching a storm pass through. We had uh, Nicole visit us in North Florida from the East Coast to the West Coast. And I get this certain thrill about the power of nature presenting herself, you know? And I am also super thrilled about our conversation today because this is going to take me back to my roots. I started in radio and I used to be on the air and I used to talk to young artists. And that's what we have on tap today is talking to some significant music musical talent. And I'm stoked about that because it brings me back to a super happy place in my life. <laughs> Indeed, my friend. And hello, um, you know, what I'm stoked about is uh, I, I have two boys, as our listener knows, and 12 and 14. And of course, one of the primary goals of my life at this moment is guiding them into who they are and what, what they love and finding their way. And our guest today is the child. I mean, he's a grown man, so let's not be patronizing, but he is the, the son of some friends of mine that I've known for a long time. Um, and he has some clarity or had some clarity as a young man, as a child even, that um, is very intriguing to me as a dad. It's intriguing to me as an artist. It's intriguing to me as a lover of music, but it's intriguing to me as a dad as well. So without further ado, allow me to introduce our guest. It gives me great pleasure to introduce Jake Miller. With sold-out tours, millions of followers on social, and growing critical acclaim, Jake Miller has quietly emerged as a magnetic pop presence. He's done this on his own terms with an infectious, high-energy style that's full of optimism and fun as hell. His fans, dubbed the military, are so devoted that many tattoo his lyrics on their body. Florida-raised and L.A.-based, the singer, songwriter, and producer made waves with his 2014 Dazed and Confused EP. He recently performed on NBC's Today Show and live with Kelly and Ryan. And he continues to inspire on a series of new singles and his forthcoming fifth full-length album. Jake Miller, welcome to Swan Dive. What an intro. Thank you so yeah. much. Appreciate it. 
That's a mouthful. Well, we're going to kick this off with some fun icebreakers just to cut. I know you're, you know, you're, you're about to kick off a tour or you just finished a tour. You've been doing a lot of press for your album. So let's just have a quick, a, a quick little fast and furious here. What sport would you compete in if you were in the Olympics? Baseball. Nice. Worst job you ever had? Uh, bag boy at Publix. Nice. Share dogs, that with you. <laughs> dogs or cats? I was a dog person, but my girlfriend has two cats, and now I'm a cat person. Coffee or tea? Tea. I've never even tried coffee in my life. Wow. Okay. We could do a whole series on that. Um, <laughs> if you could live anywhere in the world for a year, where would it be? Bali. Nice. All right. Well, without making this conversation too cringy, let me start this way. Jake Miller, I love you. Because <laughs> you're making records and a bunch of followers on social. I love you because I love amazing parents. I went to the gifted program with your mom, then named Lee Waldman. And she couldn't have been more kind and wonderful and gentle. And I, I, Think nothing but beautiful thoughts about her. Your dad, Bruce Miller, went to summer camp with Ron and me, where we watched him pop and lock and dance, and he was hilarious. And so (laughs) that's where I'd like to start today, because like Ron and myself, we come from similar cultural backgrounds, middle class, suburban, South Florida, Jewish kids. And stereotypically, what that looks like is you go to college, you work hard, you get a good job, you buy a house, you meet a girl, you have kids, and you live a comfortable, predictable life. Uh, The thought of being an artist professionally is quite rare even to consider it. But every now and then, there's a unicorn that decides early as a child even that that's the lane and decides from the jump to go for it. So let's take it back to the early days and look at your emotional landscape when you're still a kid and you're just starting to kind of find a creative vibe in music. What we do at Swan Dive is we like to explore the moment or the moments when you decide to pivot toward your most authentic self and chase that vision. So when was your Swan Dive? It wasn't until actually later in life. Like I wasn't somebody who I always loved music, but just as a fan, like everybody else did. Like I loved listening to Eminem. I loved listening to NSYNC. Yeah, I would like dance in my living room to, you know, NSYNC and Backstreet Boys, but so did all my other friends. Um, So growing up, it's like I was a music lover and I appreciated it. And my dad turned me on to all these amazing artists like Bruce Springsteen and um, Jimmy Buffett. But I never had any thoughts in my head of like being a musician myself or being on stage or being in the spotlight. Um, I was kind of a shy kid growing up. So in high school, I got a MacBook. It came with a program where I could make my own beats. Eventually, I started rapping on top of these beats. Everybody around high school started talking about these songs that I was making. And right when I graduated high school, I was about a year into making my own music just for fun, kind of as a joke. But everybody was telling me that I was actually pretty good. I actually had some flow. My lyrics were good. Uh, you know, all these all these compliments that I had never really received before. Um, and so my swan dive, I guess, was graduating high school when all of my friends went off to college you know just like you said like the predictable route like the the route that you're supposed to take when you're someone like me who grew up in a town like me where everybody studies hard goes to SAT and ACT 
prep schools just to get good scores, just to get into good colleges. I did all that and I got great grades. I studied my ass off the whole, you know, all my life. Um, I got great SAT and ACT scores, got into almost all the colleges that I uh, applied to. And then very last minute, I'm talking like I even had my roommate picked out for, for freshman year. I told my parents that I, I wanted to just not go to college at all and just pursue music. And our deal was give me one year to pursue music and I'm going to stay home and live with my parents. And if nothing happens after a year, then then I'll go to, to college a year late and start it a year late. And that was my that was the hardest decision of my life. I think the hardest decision of my parents' life. Hmm. Everybody thought we were crazy. At this point, I had no fans, you know, a couple hundred YouTube views just fans from, you know, my high school and they weren't even fans. They were just people who were just kind of like, Oh, there's that kid who makes music. Like, I wonder what he's going to do with it. So what was that conversation like though? Break that down. You go to your dad and your mom and you're like, Hey, I'm not going to college. What are your thoughts on that? It wasn't just like one day. Like I just walked into their room and said, Hey, what do you guys think about this? It was more like that whole senior year of high school, I was putting out a lot of music. Again, I never really thought it would lead to like a career. It was more just like, I'm a senior in high school. I'm having fun. I'm having my friends come over after school and we're rapping about our girlfriends or our teachers or just dumb stuff. But very slowly, we would start to get little signs of like validation. Local radio stations would call me and want to do an interview. NBC local news would want to come over to my parents' house and you know take me on the patio and do an interview on me. Um, and it wasn't until, and like three or four of those things kind of started happening, but it wasn't until we started getting, uh, reached out to by record labels. Uh, I think the first one that reached out to me was, um, Universal Republic. And it was literally when I was on U, uh, FSU's campus for orientation, when they reached out and said that they wanted to have me come to New York and, uh, and have a showcase. It wasn't even like a, they weren't even offering me a deal. It was just like, we want to we want to have you in New York perform for all of us. And and then maybe we'll give you a deal. So all of these like little things were great. But when the record labels started coming into effect, I think my parents were a little bit more um, just like trusting and a little bit, they just felt a little bit better knowing that like people who actually know what they're doing in the music industry, you know, say that our son has, has potential. So it was a, it was a hard decision for me. I'm, I, I just don't know if it was like the hardest decision for my parents um, because I think that they they just believed in me from, you know, from zero years old. Mm-hmm. Whatever I want to do, they'll they'll let me do it. They'll they'll give me a shot. So I'm sure it was hard for them, but uh, it was it was easy to 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 let me do it, what I believed in. You said earlier on you were in your, you know, doing your stuff, making your beats and it was fun. It was fun. Did it remain fun after you got the tap? from the record company or did it become a job? Um, I mean, even to this day, making music to me is so fun, but there are a million things on my mind. Um, when I, you know, in every aspect of my career back then it was literally just, Hey, you want to come over? I want to, you know, I want to make a a song about this and we would make it and then maybe put it out on YouTube. Maybe not. Maybe it was just for us. So, it was just purely like just pure enjoyment, just just to have fun. Now it's like, as I said, a billion things go through my head when I'm writing a song. It's not just like 
let's go into a studio and have fun. It's okay. I'm going to a new studio today. I don't know these people that I'm about to work with. Are we going to gel? Am I going to like them? Um, if I don't like them, how am I going to tell them I, I want to leave because I, this is wasting my time? Um, is the song short enough? Is it long enough? Is mm. it deep enough? Will my fans like it? Uh, is it is it something that will get me new fans rather than just have my fans? Like, all of these things are running through my brain. And that's just making the songs. Once the songs come out with all these social media platforms with Instagram and TikTok and all this stuff, now that's just my brain never shuts off because as an artist, you always have to be promoting yourself and you always have to be thinking of ways to promote your music. So, you know, I'm kind of, there is a part of me that's a little envious of people like my sister or some friends in New York who just have nine to fives when their job is done, they go home and I'm sure they don't shut their brain off a hundred percent. They're still probably thinking about their job, but for the most part, they can go home and relax. Whereas I am like always, always, always trying to think of ways to further myself and what kind of clever things can I post and, you know, it never stops. So it is fun, but it's very, very challenging. Yeah. Yeah. And that work-life balance is challenging for everyone, but uh, I hear you loud and clear. Well, clearly you're a poet. Um, In preparing for this interview, I read quite a bit of your lyrics. One song 2012 song you wrote a song called what what i wouldn't give and you really sing about your childhood inspirations to rock stardom basically uh growing up i used to dream about the life i mean literally i dreamed about it every night man what i would do just to live it for a day or two same stage different view looking down at you they say i rhyme tight now i'm in the limelight feeling high as ever i'm living the miller high life so you had a clear vision of what this life was, at least in your you know, young mind. Tell us about that vision. That was the beginning of you know, really starting to get serious about making music. So the first year that I told you about when I was just a high school, a uh, senior in high school, that was just me in my bedroom. Once I graduated and I decided to you know, make that decision, I remember going to Guitar Center with my dad and getting a bunch of you know, professional studio equipment, nice speakers, a microphone. Before that, I was just using the headphone, the, the microphone that came on the iPhone headphones. Mm-hmm. So everything was bad quality. So those songs, like in 2011 and 2012, that was like the very beginning of when I'm like, you know what? All of my friends are off to college. They're all joining fraternities. They're all starting new lives. I need to make this worth it because I feel like I'm, if, I, if this doesn't work out, I don't know what's going to happen with my life. So I put a million percent into uh, into whatever I was doing. I locked myself in, uh, you know, a room in my parents' house. And again, all my friends were gone, so I had nothing to do besides make music. And yeah, I wrote that song. What I wouldn't give. It was one of like the first few songs that I made, and it was just about how there's there's nothing I wouldn't give to you know to have my name in lights, to be on stages, to to do all these things that I'm doing now. So. To hear that song now is is pretty incredible because I'm I'm living all of those lyrics. As of this morning, you've got eight hundred thirty four thousand followers on Insta. So, what's your take on the limelight? <laughs> um, no, I mean, there's never really been a moment in my life where like fame has like become too too much for me. Um, I purposely. There was a moment in my life where I wanted to be Justin Bieber and I wanted to be the most famous person in the world. As I've grown up, I I am very comfortable with like where I am fame-wise, you know. I I want to be able to go on tour whenever I want and sell out venues, 
But at the same time, I want to walk down the street with my girlfriend and nobody, you know, bother us. It's, it's really cool when people come up to me and they're just like, what's up, Jake? Like we've, I've been listening to you forever. Like I'm a huge fan. Can we get a picture? Like that's really cool. But I couldn't imagine living a life like Justin Bieber where everywhere you go, you, you just, you can't yeah. be yourself. Everyone's watching you. That's, that sounds insane. Yeah. But you said earlier though, about that you're constantly on, right? You're constantly on writing or, or thinking about how to get more out there. Um, does that feel like you're always on stage when you're listening to yourself think? Um, not really. Uh, you know, cause I think that's just me being like a, someone who always wants to kind of gain more fans and gain more people who are listening to my music. But you know, there are often times where I'm like, all right, let's, let's shut off for a little bit and let's, let's turn off the social media. You can, you know, you can, when I don't want to be on social media, it's easy for me to turn my phone off, go to the beach with my girlfriend for six hours and enjoy life. But if I was Justin Bieber, I wouldn't be able yeah. to ever turn it off. I wouldn't be able to go to the beach and just, and just relax. So I'm pretty happy with, I think somewhere in between where I am now and Justin Bieber uh, would be like the perfect level. So I wouldn't say I'm like perfectly content. I still want to be selling out like bigger rooms, but, um, but yeah, I, I think that's like kind of the level that I aspire to be at. It's very interesting hearing the game now. You know, I started in radio and, and, and we would have the record reps, you know, come to us. We were in Gainesville, so it was a college town and they wanted to break new artists. And, and I was just thinking about, you know, Spotify, the, the streams, YouTube, how important that is and the social platforms. Is radio a part of it? Is radio any part of the plan right now? No, not for, not for me. I mean, when you're a, when you're a massively big artist, and, you know, you're making your label so much money just because everything you do is, you know, so profitable, then, yeah, I'm sure it helps. Um, but for someone like me, it doesn't make sense because going to radio now, which I've done in the past with labels like E1 or Warner Brothers, it costs like a quarter million dollars for me to get in a van with my tour manager and go top 40 station to top 40 station around the whole country do these interviews, do like these little acoustic lounges just to kind of hope and pray that the program director adds my song for yeah. a couple weeks. Right. So um, right now it's like what's way more effective is just being creative on TikTok. Like they say TikTok is the new radio. Um, if, if somehow you create some kind of video or trend with your song and millions of people start, you know, doing a similar trend with your song in the background, like that's and they count for for streams. So, yeah. Um, yeah, right now radio is pretty irrelevant to to my life. That's that's for sure. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, um, you once said that uh, the reason I started making music was because I was so in love with Mac Miller. Yeah. Um, not only was he putting out amazing music, but he him and his friends independently were running around Pittsburgh making the coolest, most fun videos. Was just inspiring. Uh, Mac Miller, if you don't know, is a super cutting edge rapper he died sadly a few years ago but tell us what what about mac miller like why him you know it seems like your your backgrounds and your your sort of sensibilities are so different but he really hit you what was it uh well i didn't ever feel like we were that different i mean he he definitely had a little bit more of an edge obviously um you know he was all tatted up and um probably a little bit more into drugs than I was assuming that I was, you know, not doing any drugs. Right. But, um, you know, I grew up a white kid in the suburbs, Jewish, loving rap music. And that's what Mac Miller was. He was a white Jewish kid in the suburbs. And 
it wasn't really like his personality that I connected with. It was what you said. It was him and his three best friends. They were his managers. They were his videographers. They were his tour managers. It was just four best friends figuring it out together. And I thought that that was so cool. And everybody in my city felt the same way. Like every, every person that I knew listened to Mac Miller, Kid Cudi, mm. um, you know, that's pretty much it in high school. Like that was, that was, that was like our soundtrack. And so when I saw Mac Miller doing it and he wasn't too much older than me, I'm like, I feel like I can do this. Not exactly what he's doing, but you know, in a sense, sing rap and just, just try it with my friends. And that's kind of why I started going from a music fan to someone who's like actually going to have the confidence to make my own music. Right. Right. So let's, let's drill into that because, you know, when I was 27, I left a big Wall Street career and just totally walked away um, to become Donald Sutherland's chauffeur because I wanted to make movies. And I was a PA for Michael Jackson. And I mean, just like low man on the totem pole and loved every second of it. The point being that it was sort of just fake it till you make it, go figure it out, um, guerrilla style. And you, the kid in, in his bedroom with the Mac and, you know, the tools um, figured it out. Uh, and in those early years, I know that it's just, it's also exciting and it's also delightful that it's sort of, you don't care. You don't care that you're broke. You don't care that you just don't, I didn't care. I was just happy to be there. Um, 10 Same. years in, 10 years in, it's real life and it's, and it's a grind and we're not kids anymore. Um, so you strike me as someone who is full of joy. I mean, you come from a joyful, happy home and you strike me as someone who has very good friends, lifelong friends, and you have, you just have a fun, you're a fun guy. You're a fun person. So thanks, um, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, no, that's I catch <laughs> no, but my point is, is that keeping the joy in your art, I'm an artist and I get it. Keeping the joy in there, keeping it fresh and, and, and staying super, super stoked to do what you do. Um, tell us how that's evolved over the last 10 years since you got in the game and, and kind of, you know, what you've, what you've yeah. learned in that process. Well, there's been a lot of times throughout the last 10 years where, um, you know, when I first got in the industry, it was, it was a lot different than it was now. So, you know, there were times where I had my creativity stripped from me when my labels would tell me, you know, pretty much, okay, what you, what you did was great. And we signed you cause you have a great following, but now we're going to bring in professional writers and producers. And so there was, there were a couple of years where I was not writing and didn't have much of a hand in my music, which felt mm. so weird because like, that's what I do. Right. I didn't even really like, I didn't know anything about the music industry. So I didn't really like, you always hear about like artists who don't actually write their own music, but it wasn't like a, t like a topic of conversation as a kid. Like I, I never really cared to even talk about that. So when a label finally came in and told me like, you know, someone else is going to start writing my music for me, it was just confusing. I'm like, what am I supposed to do then? Um, those were some really hard years. I feel like I put out a lot of music that didn't really connect with my fan base that had, you know, been following me because I was so real and authentic and clearly writing my own music. So I do think there was a, a time period where I lost quite a bit of fans um, with that transition. Also, my record label told me I can't rap anymore, that mm. I had to start singing because, because pop radio didn't want me to rap. What? Um, How did you push back against that? <clears throat> How did you get yourself, um, your voice back? How did you get your voice back? 
Well, there was, there was, I remember so vividly, like so many conversations with my dad saying like, how am I supposed to get excited about, you know, making music if, if they don't want me to rap, if I'm going to sing. And my dad just kind of kept drilling in my head, like a good song is a good song. Like maybe just try to, you know, go to some singing lessons and try to sing. And if that's what it takes to get on radio and you're in this game and you want to, you know, go to the top, then let's try to follow, you know, what these people, these professionals and these record labels are telling us to do. Cause we didn't know shit about the music industry. Right. So eventually um, I didn't, we, we, I wasn't getting along with my record label. We parted ways. And that was also at the same exact time as a, a breakup for me. I, I, I was dating someone for eight years, pretty much half my life. And so I got dropped from Warner brothers and I had that breakup within like the same week. Mm. And it felt like the worst week of my life, everything had is coming crashing down. It felt like, like never before did I feel any kind of like, you know, disappointment like this. And so what I did is I learned how to produce my own music because I'm like, okay, well for the last three or four years, Warner brother has been, they've been sending me to studio sessions and other people have been producing the beats. So now it's either, you know, I, I hit up these people uh, to, to still try to work with them or I just say, screw it and do it myself. And that was probably the biggest like turning point in my career, which is like 2016 or 2017 when I just taught myself how to produce, mix, master, record my vocals, do it all, upload it all from my apartment at the time in L.A. And so I felt like that's when I got my voice back and I got, you know, the power back and and it's the best thing that ever happened to me because now to this day, I still don't really need anybody to help me. If, if I don't mm. want to work with anybody, I can do it all by myself. But you right? have that main person to help you. You had that community, man. It's always been dad, mom and dad, right? That was what brought you back. Yeah, exactly. For sure. Yeah. I mean, almost. I'm, I talk to my parents every single day. Mm. Um, my mom, I'm texting her throughout the whole day, but um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a family guy. So I'm always coming to them for, for advice and, at the end of the day, if my dad is telling me that I should do something, it's like, I don't really even, it's not even an argument. It's like, if he thinks I, that something is right, I normally just believe him and trust him and, you know, go with, go with what he, what he, you know, thinks. So he's, he's, he's pulled me out of some, some deep holes in my life for sure. Same with my mom. So, yeah. Jake, you know, you're, you're getting your voice back. Um, one of the things that, that, uh, artists every now and then are lucky enough to find themselves in that flow state, you know, that magical land of unconscious creation where it's just, you're just channeling it and it's just showing up. Um, tell us about a song or two of yours that you created in this state, a song that you love. As soon as it was done, you were just like, that is great. And you know it and everyone knew it. Tell us about one or several of those moments. Um, I mean, a lot of the songs that I made like over the pandemic, I remember I made a song called Save Me, which was like to my girlfriend, like basically like, you know, I was, I was going through it and you, you came around at the perfect time you saved me. And, uh, that was the song that was just, it was so easy to write. I wrote it with a couple friends, took a couple hours, maybe max. And everybody around me, my whole team was like, this song is amazing. This is, this is like one of the best songs that you've made. And, uh, you know, those, those, those come up maybe like once every year right. where like, where I'm just like, holy shit, like, am I on the verge of like the song? Cause that's 
since I started this in 2011, that's what I've heard from everybody. You know, one song and it'll change your whole life. Yeah. And I haven't had that moment, that like one catapult moment that's just taken me from this level to this level. It's just been such a slow, steady grind. I've never had that one song that's just taken off. And I'm not sure I ever will, to be honest. And that's okay. I mean, I'm still doing my thing. But every now and then, I'll be in the middle of writing a song and I'll get like extremely excited, but also nervous and anxious because I'm like, could this be the one? Like, mm. could we put this out and something miraculous happens and it takes me to the next level of stardom like I've always wanted to go to? Um, so yeah, I would say like once every year or, or once every like two years, a song like that comes around. Right, right. That's awesome. And who do you write for? When, when, you, when, when that inspiration hits, what, what is it? who are you writing for? Are you writing for yourself? Are you writing for your girl? Are you writing for your cat? What, what's the visualization when you're writing? It's always different. If it's a love song, it's I'm definitely picturing my girlfriend. Absolutely, hundred percent. Um, at the same time, you know, I love sad music, and I spent a lot of 2015 through 2017 writing only sad songs because, as I said, I was going through a breakup. And I think some of my best music came out of that time period. So not only do I love listening to sad songs, but I think I'm probably the best at making sad songs. Um, rather than making happy songs, sometimes I'm just making like a Bruno Marsy, Justin Timberlake fun song. And I'm just like, this is corny. This is just, hmm. you can't connect with it. Like it's, it's just it's, that word corny. My mom always tells me, stop saying that. It's true. It's like a lot of the times I just say, I, I can't listen to this song anymore of mine. I, I don't even want to put it out. It's too corny. But um, a lot of the time I'll, I'll make sad songs and I'll, I won't really think about anyone specifically even though I've been through breakups and I can pull from those experiences, um, I, I mainly just like write sad songs for, you know, everybody else who's, who I know there's people out there going through breakups. And um, I also write, no matter what I'm writing about, I'm always thinking about what's going to translate best on stage. Because as much as I love music, being on stage is the number one thing that I was put on this earth to do. And mm. I didn't realize that until I started making music. So now when I'm writing music, I write it thinking about how it's going to go over live, the call and responses, like, you know, just, just picturing myself on stage singing these songs. That's how I write. That sounds so corny. On your new... <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> on your new record, um, there's a song called Circles. Yeah. And um, what I found really interesting about that song and the lyrics uh, is you get super vulnerable. And you really speak the truth. And, you know, in, in, in the music business, I imagine, certainly in the rap game, you know, so much of it is about just like, I'm the best, I'm the baddest, I'm invincible, you know, I'm on top, etc. Um, obviously, that's not your message. Right. Um, but in this one, you really kind of come straight at it. And I'm going to read some of those lyrics. I woke up on the wrong side of my life. Yeah, 30 years down, can't tell if I lived it right. I mean, nothing's really wrong, but it's not quite right. Hmm. Watching all my friends do well, and it and it must be nice. So it's just, you know, it's uh, it's it, there's some truth in there where you're saying like, hey man, hustling away here, ready for that song to hit, ready to be, you know, next level. And that song, like where you know, it seems self-explanatory, but is there anything more you want to say about that song and kind of where you were at when you wrote it? Yeah. I mean, it's just, 
it's not like a, a feeling that goes away when you're in this industry. Like that's that feeling that I had when I wrote that song. I think it will continue to stay with me throughout my whole career, but it's, it's just like a testament to like, no matter how much you succeed and no matter what goals you set and accomplish, you're always looking for more. And it's like, yeah, I'm so grateful for everything I've done and I'm so grateful to have all these fans, but I'm still looking for how to get to that next level. And, and I do have friends around me who are, who are killing it even harder than I am. So it's like, I know that I'm probably where 99% of artists dream to be one day and I, I'll never lose sight of that and how grateful I am to be here. But I, but all I'm thinking of is how to get to, you know, the level of where some of my friends are at winning mm-hmm. awards or selling out huge, massive venues. Like that's what I want. And, and to be honest, the second verse is like the most vulnerable I've ever gotten. It's basically, there's like back in like 2015. And I, I never really talk about this because I always kind of like to like look forward and not harp on the past. But as I said, when I got into this industry, the industry was so much different. I was so much different. The fans were so much different. And 2015 was just like a wild time for me and my fan base. Like I needed security wherever I went. I'm talking if I went to the mall, I would need security or else they would have, I would be mobbed. I couldn't step out of my tour bus without being physically attacked by 50 screaming girls. Like it was, and I was too young to to be bothered or annoyed by it. To me, I felt like, you know, Michael Jackson or the Beatles. It was the hmm. coolest thing in the world. And so as I grew up, the fans grew up with me. Naturally, I lost probably a few fans because, you know, your music taste changes over time, just the same way I don't listen to Kid Cudi or Mac Miller anymore. Um, and so I think that second verse is kind of like looking back on on that moment. Like there, there's a there's a lyric where it's like, um, tried so hard, but got so close. Uh, I got so hot and then just froze. Um, like it's basically saying like how I felt like I was the closest to where I wanted to be and where I want right. to be in like 2015. Like I was knocking on the door. It was almost open. And then I kind of like with Warner brothers trying to help have me write like other people write my stuff and take my rapping away. There were just some certain things that kind of set me back and I'm still trying to like work my way towards back to where I was. So that's kind of what that whole song mm-hmm. is about. Just the same thing over and over again and just hoping to get further, I guess, you know, yeah, well, you keep, you keep it, you're keeping it real, you know, and keep doing, I mean, I just think if you, if you speak your truth as a creative person in general, you mean you have to speak your truth, first of all. Yeah. And if you do speak your truth well, um, and long enough, then, you know, it comes around because he, the other part of that vulnerability is you're exposing your wisdom. Each time you get more vulnerable, you get more wise from what, what you have found. And I guess, yep. you know, when we talk about those truths, you know, your EP that just released that you're promoting now is based on a true story. That's the name of it. Um, so what is your true story as you sit here on the doorstep of your 30th birthday? Yeah. Um, my true story is that I am so happy with my life. I'm so happy with my personal life. My family is amazing. My girlfriend is amazing. Not sure when this airs, but I'm proposing in 48 hours. Mm. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I, I couldn't be happier with my personal life. With my career, I'm like nine out of 10 happiness. And I think that's always what you will be as a musician. It'll never be perfect. You'll never, even the biggest artists in the world, I'm sure, are not happy. I see some of the biggest artists right now canceling their stadium tours um, because 
their mental health is, is wearing them down. Like this is just a crazy industry and I'm learning that more and more every day and I love it and I love making music and I do still have fun, but I do think there will, there will always be a little part of me that's not completely satisfied with where I am. And so that's sad, but it also keeps me going. And it's like the, the fuel that I need. You know, um, the Rolling Stones, I was watching an interview with Keith Richards not too long ago. And, and you know, the, co- the question was basically like, so you guys have just been playing like, you know, brown sugar for like the last 60 years in a row, <laughs> you know, and, and, honk, it, and, and honky tonk woman. And, and he and, you know, he said, you know what, man? Every time I play it, I play it different, and I love playing those songs. What songs of yours do you just love playing, and you just get so amped, you know, when you're going? Like, is there a couple of go-tos that just get you, just blow your mind every time? Um, a couple old songs that will never, you know, get old performing. I love this one song called Overnight that I that I uh, put out in, like, 2015. Um, a song called Rumors that's kind of blowing up on TikTok, going back to TikTok. Yeah. There's been like six million videos made on TikTok to the song. And it's nice. like one of my oldest songs. So it's just kind of funny how songs recirculate. Um, that one's always fun to perform. Um, there's one called Lionheart. Anything that just has a lot of energy. Um, it's it's just all like my shows are all about the energy. So even though sometimes I can listen to an old song of mine and be like, I've evolved so much musically from this. I still enjoy playing it because I love, you know, jumping up and down. I love seeing all the passion in the venue and I turn around and I see my band just going crazy with all the lights going crazy. Like that just, it just makes me really happy to to play songs like that. Is that your happy place on stage in the middle of that? A thousand percent, a thousand percent, which is funny because when I got my first manager right after I graduated high school, you know, that first year, um, this guy came over our house and he sat with me and my dad and my mom and he said, all right, this is what we're going to do. The first step is to get you in the studio, professional studio. We're going to make some great songs. And the second step is to get you on stage and perform these songs. And I said, slow down. <laughs> the one thing about me that you have to know if you're going to be my manager is I'll never step foot on stage. I will never perform. I didn't wow. know that that was part of the industry. I thought I would just make songs, upload them, be famous. But he's like, no, you have to perform. And I'm like, I'm too shy. I don't like the spotlight like that. I, I don't want to do that. I'll just make the music. And like two weeks later, we get the opportunity to open for Snoop Dogg, my first show ever. <laughs> and and I'm not going to say no to Snoop Dogg. No, you um, cannot. I was you like, cannot. <laughs> no, of course not. I was one of like nine openers. I went on at like 8 p.m. He went on at like 2 a.m. And I was terrified. I brought a bunch of friends on stage with me to like make me feel more comfortable and just kind of like awkwardly dance behind me. And something in me just flipped a switch that night. And I'm like, all right, never mind what I said. Let's book some shows. That's and awesome. that was the beginning of it. Yeah, that is awesome. Snoop to the rescue. Like Snoop rescued your soul. <laughs> Literally, he turned hey, Jake, me into a person. Jake, how do you um, t- define success for us from your point point of view? I think success at this point in my life is just happiness, you know, to just be content with what you have. Um, if you're, if you're talking like actual, like what I, what I would have materialistically said is success a couple of years ago. Um, I think I've pretty much achieved all of it. I mean, the one thing that I, the one thing that I wish I still had were like some plaques, some platinum plaques hanging in my, in my house. <clears throat> Besides that, I mean, I've met almost all my idols. 
performed with almost all my idols. Some of them are now friends and I have their phone numbers. I've performed in some of the coolest, biggest arenas in the world, Madison Square Garden, uh, the, the arena that I grew up going to in Fort Lauderdale that I saw my first concert in ever. I performed in there. Like these are just things that I were probably like my measurements of success. If you would have asked me in 2011 when I started, I think I've pretty much checked most of them off besides the obvious, the Grammys, winning a Grammy and like having some platinum plaques. You Tell can't... us about just real quick, like Madison Square Garden. Just give us a bullet point on that experience. I mean, that's that amazing. wasn't like a, it was like a jingle ball. So it wasn't like a headlining show, but like I was still in front of all these people and Love it. I had my moment and, and New York is my biggest market. So a lot of people knew who I was and it was just, you know, it, it was a dream come true. I mean, to this day, my favorite venue was the BB&T Center, which is the Fort Lauderdale sure. venue that I grew up on. So that was just unreal. I got to go back because as a parent, as a, my kids in the entertainment business, he's finishing up college and I don't think I would have given the same advice as your father. So I, I have to ask a question or two as your father. Um, are you contributing to a 401k? <laughs> um, well, I was, I was working. Um, I was working at the time. Um, I had four jobs, you know, as I was a senior in high school or in that two year span, I worked at Coldstone Creamery. <laughs> I worked at Publix. I worked at a golf course. Um, I worked at a hospital. That might have been it. So you got your hustle uh, on. You got your hustle on. I like it. All right. I've always, I've always been hustling. Yeah. I was the youngest, like, Publix employee. Like, the day that I turned either 14 or 15, that was like your legal age at Publix. And I was the day that I turned 14 or 15, whatever the legal age was. I'm like, I want to start making my own money. Um, nice. So yeah, I've always I've always been hustling, but my dad did help me out big time at the beginning of my career. Obviously, financially, I'm just a kid at that point. Probably didn't even have a couple thousand dollars saved up for my whole life. Um, I had some bar mitzvah money, of course, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, um, my my dad and my mom definitely helped me out a little bit for like that first year. Um, what are you afraid of? What am I afraid of? Um, I wouldn't say I'm afraid of it, but it's like as I'm approaching 30 and thinking about marriage and then kids, it's like the last decade has just been like, all right, make music, have fun. The money will come. Hopefully some years are great. Some years are bad. The paychecks are so unsteady. It's not that I'm, I'm scared of it. It's more just like, it's such a big question mark. Like, I was in such a different place 10 years ago. I don't know where I'll be 10 years from now. Like, will I still be able to be profitable and make money and support a whole family off making music and mm -hmm. making TikToks? Like, you know, it will change. The music industry will change. All these social medias will change. And so I'm, it's, it's not that I'm scared. I'm just kind of anxious to see like how long I will be able to do this. Hopefully I'll be able to retire when I want to retire rather than just like people stopping people stop listening and stop coming to the shows. That's probably my biggest fear. Right. Um, right. So as I get older, I just need to figure out more ways to, to do it. It's real interesting how those life changes that are about to happen, going on the bended knee in two days and, and getting a family, how those things, I, I bet you will serve as catalysts to get you to that next place. I have no doubt, man. I hope. I think so. Oh, I mean, there's going to be, much incredible material to 
to feel newly inspired by. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, I do think that having a whole family and having kids, like it will completely change. It will be like the, okay, you've now lived part one of your life. Now figure out a way to make music, but like now starts part two. And I think that it's going to probably be a much more um, just like, I don't know, growing up in the way that I did with like social media and like, you know, our generation is just like, you wake up and a billion things are flooded into your brain, all this data, all these, all this stuff. And it's like, I'm, I'm excited for the day where I can just make music and not have to have my brain cluttered with like stuff other than just like my family. Right on. Yeah. You know, um, living in Costa Rica, I mean, it's a, it's a very tranquil, peaceful place. Um, after living in cities in LA and San Francisco and Miami, my whole life, um, kids i mean you you have incredible wisdom jake you have a groundedness uh at 29 that's impressive and you were absolutely right the first part of your life and then the second chapter of your life or the second part of your life uh, post family um and those things ground you even further but uh you you, you humor is something that you do well and it's clearly mm-hmm. part of what you're about the past eight nine years has been like okay everything i post has to be like polished like you know, only post on Instagram if it looks great, if it's HD quality, if I look amazing. Then all of a sudden TikTok comes around and gives artists like me a platform to just take a 15 second video of me being silly and goofy and potentially get over a million views in a mm. night. Like, right. So it's definitely like such a fun platform to just just kind of be yourself and, and be goofy. Right yeah, everybody go find this thing. It's so it's so ridiculous and wonderful. It's called Oscar from the Office. It's on TikTok. I think you can find it on Insta too, or is that on your story? It's or on something? Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. But TikTok, but the- it has it has 1.6 million uh views and I just posted it uh 20 hours ago. So Yeah, so just you. go find it. Do You're trending. You're trending um, in in life right now. I love it, man. That's awesome. Uh, well, Jake, you know, I know that you just came off. You just came off a tour a few months ago, the Eight Tattoos tour. Well, tell us, give us just a couple bullets on that too, like a couple of highlights in that tour. Like what? What? I mean, every every time I go on tour, it's just a new. Like it feels like the new best two months of my life. Like hmm. I'm on a tour bus with ten of my best friends, playing incredible shows. After the shows, we get on the bus and we start driving at one in the morning to the next city where we're in the middle of the desert watching movies and talking and drinking. Like it's just, it's, it feels like my college cause I never went to college. Right. And, um, but it feels cooler than that. <laughs> yeah. And now, and now give us, and I'm sure you've talked about this a lot, but you know, um, I saw a bunch of videos of these people getting their tats of your lyrics. And in some cases you're standing with them. Like talk to me about that concept. Cause that is talk about brilliant, a brilliant way to connect with fans. Like what, where did that start? And, What's the deal, man? It started back in like 2015, maybe is the first time I remember fans coming up to me and saying, can you, you know, sign this piece of paper, sign it in your handwriting. This is my favorite lyric of yours. And I would see them a couple months later with the lyric in my handwriting tattooed on them. And I started to post pictures of them. And the more I posted, the more people wanted to do it. And all of a sudden I was, you know, signing 10, 15 tattoos every show. Um, and so for this last tour, because I put out a song called Eight Tattoos, and the song is not about tattoos. It's more just about, you know, the progression of my life. Um, 
but I brought my tattoo artist on tour with me and, <laughs> and yeah, we had like 10 people tattooed in the venues before every show. And I got to stand there and, and watch it. And it was only my lyrics being tattooed. So it was special. That is so special. That is so great. That's awesome. Well, this is the time at the end of the interview where we just pretty much say, man, tell the world what they need to know about Jake Miller and uh, we'll do our best to push it out there. Yeah. I mean, uh, I just came out with a new project, seven songs. It's called Based on a True Story 2. Been working on it for the past maybe six months. Um, I have more music coming out uh, probably in January, three new songs that I haven't really talked about to anybody. It's uh, about... A certain situation that's happening in 48 hours <laughs> um and then uh yeah i just did uh i just performed on kelly clarkson's show so you can go watch that performance and other than that i'm just gonna always continue to make music and, and tour so if you haven't seen me in concert uh definitely come to a show i think it's 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 a lot better than it looks like on videos it's just an infectious energy in the crowd when whenever we have shows we won't tell anyone about that certain situation until it happens. So, yeah. Perfect. That's awesome, man. Well, congratulations. Uh, exciting times Thanks happening for you. That's awesome. Very. Yeah. You know, Jake, it's, it's, it's really, I'm really delighted that you joined us on Swan Dive. It, uh, you're a gentleman. It's nice to see the good guys win. Um, I have every confidence that you will thrive and you will hit your goals and you will find all the dreams and you deserve it. You're, you really so just a, you're a beautiful person and it's, uh, it's nice to watch you elevate. So we're going to go do it. JakeMiller.com. He's on Insta. He's on TikTok. Everybody go find this guy. He has got the goods and uh, he deserves your love. Be well, Thank my you. friend. And thanks for being a part of Swan Dive. Thank you, guys. Buena vida. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to Swan Dive. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, and share this episode. Also, we are building a new season of Swan Dive. So if you or you know someone who has experienced a Swan Dive in their life, please hit us up and contact us through our website, www.swandive.us.